Let's turn together now to 1 Samuel and chapter 21. And we can look at the section from verse 1 down to verse 9. And we can just focus our minds as we do that on verse number 9 itself. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. I want to return, after quite some time, to return to uh, look at the life of King David. Uh, We saw in an earlier study the way in which David was raised up by God because of the fall of King Saul after his failure. When you read that God regretted that he had made Saul king. And we saw the way in which David was anointed by Samuel and at that moment of anointing, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David as the Spirit departed from Saul and an evil spirit came upon him. And from that moment of the anointing of David in 1025 BC, David is in many ways running for his life because of Saul's jealousy and seeing that God is with David and Saul's determination to kill David. And we also see and have seen the way in which there is a special friendship between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And it is that friendship that closes the previous chapter where we see the way in which there is such a close friendship. But because of the danger in which David finds himself, David has to leave his friends. So we have a David who is a fugitive who is on the run, having left everyone behind and having no one with him. And from chapter 21 to the beginning of 2 Samuel, we want to look at part two of David's life and to see the way in which there is forging of character in the path of adversity. God prepares us in our journey along life's way to be the kind of people he wants us to be David to be the kind of king he should be, and ourselves as his children to be his children in a way that brings glory to him. And as part one of that study, I want to look at the section this evening and to think of the necessity of getting our priorities right. If you and I are going to develop as the children of God and grow up in our faith as those who trust in the Lord, then we have to realize what our priorities are, the things that we can do without, and the things that are absolutely necessary for us to live by faith. And the first thing I want us to see from these verses is the necessity and the priority itself. What is the priority? We see that David flees. He flees from the safety of being with Samuel in, in Ramah and Naioth, being with Samuel and the spirit of prophecy coming down upon him, the place of blessing where he finds security for a short time, but because of the danger, it is no longer safe for him to stay there. It's a halfway house on his way to running away. 
And here we, through all of these movements, we see that he comes to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Why should he come to this place? Why should he come to Ahimelech? He comes to this place because we understand that this place in chapter 22 at verse 19 was the city of the priests. And we remind ourselves that there was no temple at this time. We remind ourselves that the Ark of the Covenant was moving around. We remind ourselves that there was the mobility of of the place in which the things that belonged to the tabernacle were found. And at this particular time in the history of the children of Israel, the things that belonged to God, to the tabernacle of God, were found in Nob, in this place where Ahimelech was found. And we can come to that conclusion because we see that Ahimelech refers to the bread of the presence, which was in the presence of God in the tabernacle, which was there, placed there every Lord's day. Here is David coming to the place where God is found. That's his priority. He's alone. He's got nobody with him. He's carrying no baggage. He is alone and he's going to the place where he knows he must go first. He must go into the presence of God. And in many ways, we learn a lot about a person. When we see where they turn to in times of trouble. And tonight we can ask ourselves, what do we do in times of trouble? It's quite remarkable that the child of God can turn away from God in times of trouble. That says so much about us in our hearts if that's how we respond to a time of trouble. Whatever the trouble is, whatever the challenge is, whatever is happening around us, as was happening in the life of David, whatever is happening, our priority is the presence of God. What is it tonight that is your priority? Are you here because, regardless of everything else, that you're here because the presence of God It's the most important thing in your life. And for the child of God, that's the way it is. It's natural for the child of God to know the preciousness of being in the presence of the child's father. It's so natural for the child to run to that place naturally for protection. So tonight, if we are the children of God, we will be where we seek the presence of God. And of course that will be in the public worship of God. But it will also be in the privacy of our own lives where we don't get up every morning and go aimlessly into the day because we've got so much on our minds and, and so much on our shoulders that we're driven away from God. The child of God doesn't do that. The public worship of God, the private worship of God, my prayer life before God, it's a priority always. And when difficulties come and when challenges are there, 
that highlights once more this is my priority. And when he comes into this place where God is found, Ahimelech is trembling. Here's David who has such a reputation. He was killing his thousands, his tens of thousands. He had a growing reputation and he arrives on his own. And Ahimelech is, is trembling. And Ahimelech wants to find out why are you alone? And why is there nobody with you? It's as if he was saying to David what he already knew. Do you really need to remind me that I'm on my own? Do you really need to remind me that I have nobody with me? He's isolated from the presence of God up until now. He is isolated from Jonathan, his closest friend. He is isolated from his his own family. Why are you alone? It feels like a kind of sucker punch, stating the obvious, but it is an opportunity for David to give expression to why he is there. And he does so by responding in in verse number two. And David said to Elimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. The king has charged him. And as we think about what that means, there is something that we want to lay aside first of all. And that is the often regular interpretation of of these words that David was deceiving Ahimelech. That he was saying this in order to calm Ahimelech's nerves. We want to leave the idea of David deceiving Ahimelech, we want to leave that aside. And we want to recognize that this David is the one who, throughout all of his life, whatever his relationship is with Saul as the Lord's anointed, that all of his life, the Lord is his God. And the Lord is God who is his king. Psalm 24 is the great example of that. Who of glory is the king? The mighty Lord is this. There's no doubt in David's heart and mind who the king is. It's the God in whose name he was anointed. It's the God that he is going to serve as king ultimately. It's the Lord of hosts, the the mighty God of Jacob that was with him when he met Goliath. The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you. There is a matter. And the matter is with regard to his own personal relationship with God, the direction of his life, where God has taken him and what is happening with him. When we move on to chapter number 22 and at verse number 10, we see in that place that this matter that concerns David is a matter which leads Ahimelech to inquire of the Lord for him. He goes to the priest who is there between him and God. 
and he comes with this private matter, which he is to tell no one. He comes to Ahimelech and he inquires of the Lord for him. It's not just that the presence of God is a priority. It is that the word of God is a priority. And he's here to hear from God so that he can live his life as a fugitive, that he can do so understanding it in the light of the word of God that comes to him. And it is a private matter. For you tonight, you, you may well have, and it's likely the case that you will have your own private matter. You're not going to share it with, with me or with anyone else. It's a matter that's about your relationship with God. It's a matter of, of the mystery of what's happening around you in your life. And you want God to, to shine his word upon it. And the wisdom that we heard spoken of earlier on today, the way in which that light comes from the word of God, that's why the presence of God is important. And the secret matter that he has, he has made an appointment with his young men for another place. He is alone. But everything that's going to happen here is going to lead to fellowship with those who are around him. So you see the way in which getting this priority right leads him into the presence of God to hear the word of God and on receiving and hearing from that word of God then being in the place where fellowship with God is restored and fellowship with the people of God is also restored. And that's where you and I need to, to live our own lives as the children of God Reckoning all of these things, having them in the right order and recognizing that everything that God does for us is ultimately for sharing. It's ultimately for leading us to, to that close fellowship that, that David had with Jonathan, that David had with the group that he was going to meet with. The priority, the presence of God and the word of God that will give meaning and direction to life and that will in some ways ease the burden and lift the load and see the path on which God is leading us that his word goes with us in it and that the people of God are around us in it and that because of that we feel strengthened and encouraged to carry on wherever the journey takes us. The necessity and the priority. Secondly, the necessity and the provision. David has every crutch removed. He comes with nothing into the presence of God. In verse number three, Now then, what do you have at hand. He has no food to eat. He has no provisions. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. He is hungry. He is desperate for something to eat. And 
he was that physically, and we may say that he was that spiritually. He was hungry for God, hungry for the presence of God, hungry for the word of God. What do you have to hand? And our hunger for God brings us in that way into the presence of God and in a respectful, reverent way saying to God, what do you have to hand to give us? We have nothing. And tonight if you feel you have nothing, then that's good. Because that's how David came. And because he had nothing, he received something. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness, says Jesus. Do you have anything to hand? And the priest responds and and says to him, I have no common bread at hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, I have no common bread, only the holy bread. Let's picture the scene. We're in the presence of God, and on every Lord's Day, 12 loaves of bread are brought in to the presence of God to be the bread of the presence. And they remain there for the rest of the week until a fresh batch of loaves is taken in the following Lord's Day and the old bread is then taken away and it's given to the priests. It becomes their food. And the people of God, they they do that and they're commanded to do that to reflect the fact that they're acknowledging that all of their provisions come from God. It's a way of saying thank you. It's a way of acknowledging that God is good. It's in the presence of God. It's set apart for that purpose. It's holy. It doesn't belong to the profane, to what's outside of the tabernacle. It belongs to God, and it's ultimately for the priests to share in in that symbolic way to, to remind us that God does provide for his people. And the priest is saying to David, that's all I've got for you. That bread which is holy, which is in the presence of God. When I come into the, to the New Testament and see the way in which Jesus takes the loaves and feeds the 5,000, he is reminding the people in front of him that God does provide for his people. They're hungry, they need food. What do you have to hand? I have five loaves and some fish, and so he distributes that to the 5,000 they're fed. And then he, he goes on in that same chapter to tell them, I am the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven, so that if anyone takes of this bread, he will never hunger again. And here is David coming into the presence of God looking for provision. And tonight we're coming into the presence of God and the presence of Jesus of Nazareth, who is in glory at God's right hand, who is the bread of life in the presence of God. And we're coming as the children of God, and we're hungry for that bread. 
We want to go beyond the, the visible and we want to go into the invisible where God is promising to provide for us in Christ Jesus. And his word becomes that bread of life that we, that we feed upon. We're hungry for that very thing that God has provided for us in Christ Jesus. And that tonight is what sets apart the children of God from everyone else. We have nothing. We know that God has everything for us in Christ Jesus. And we know that if we have him, we will never be thirsty again. We will never be hungry again. We will have that, that bread of life. And just as the Ahimelech and the priest would take that bread to, to show that God is sharing, that is our desire to, to see coming from Jesus as our great high priest, that, that very bread of life, which he is himself. That's all. That's all that the gospel has. Nothing more, nothing less than Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. There is a condition. If the young men have kept themselves from women, David goes on to speak of the way in which the young men are holy even when in an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? The confirmation that they are clean and ready to receive what God has. God told Moses to tell the children of Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 to go and tell them to wash themselves and to prepare themselves because I'm coming down. There's an encounter with God. There are conditions attached to it. And the conditions are into the New Testament where we read the likes of Peter in 1 Peter 2. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Watch your conduct in the world. Keep yourselves pure. There are conditions. And hunger is always accompanied with the conditions that make us ready and suitable to be the kind of people that God is going to bless and give to us the bread. And it's fair to say that if we don't meet the conditions because our life is not according to the conduct that God requires, then it's unlikely we'll be hungry at all. We'll have lost our appetite. It's like any kind of illness. We'll have lost our appetite and we'll be lethargic and we won't have any desire and we wonder how we're going to get from this day to the next. Good conduct. Holy living. Living in a God-glorifying way is the outward expression of a heart that is right with God, that's hungry for God. And if that's the condition, how much is the child of God going to strive to ensure that through prayer and through repentance that there is nothing 
that comes between them and receiving what God has provided for them. And so the priest gave him the holy bread. And you're saying he's not allowed to do that. That's not for everyone else. But in actual fact, he did it. And we, we hear Jesus in the Gospel of Mark when the Pharisees are finding fault with him for plucking ears of corn. They're doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath day. Have you never read your Bibles? Have you never read what David did when he was hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence. What was not lawful for anyone to eat but the priests. He did what was unlawful. But then Jesus goes on to say, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is God's provision. God blessed it and sanctified it so that we are blessing to everyone. Not so that any law would stand between the people in need and receiving the blessing, but to make it a blessing. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And the same principle applies here. The bread is here as the provision for the priest. It's not here to, to introduce a contradiction where the people are putting the bread into the presence of God to reflect that, that God provides for them. And then when David, the hungry king, comes in, that, that he's going to be denied the very bread that speaks of God's provision. The Sabbath is made for man. The bread is made for man. It's there for the blessing of those who are in need. And so David takes the bread. There's no indication in the word of God that, that he did the wrong thing by doing so. He took the bread. It was food for the hungry. And in many ways, when he received the bread, what was symbolized in the whole transaction at the tabernacle was fulfilled. This is for the people. And tonight we come with the necessity of the provision that God has for us in Christ. It's not something that's, that the law says we cannot have. It's greater and better than anything that the law says. God delights in mercy. And for sure, if you're looking tonight for the bread that only God can give you in Jesus Christ, for sure, the devil will bring the law of God to you and he will say to you, that, that you cannot have it because the law forbids it that people like you should have it. And I'm sure there'd be nothing wrong with telling this story. Before the funeral on Friday, or the day before the funeral on Friday, Jack, who had lost his wife, Mary Bell, broke down and wept 
and said that she knew the Lord Jesus, but she never ever thought she was good enough to profess his name. And there'll be, there'll be so many things in your life and around you that will want to persuade you that you're not good enough and that you cannot have this. And the gospel is full of the freeness and the fullness and the love of God that wants to provide you with the bread of life which comes down from heaven, which is Jesus of Nazareth, the shepherd of the sheep, the saviour of the world. The necessity of the priority. If we get the priority right, the stepping stones are there. And here is the first one, that God provides for us. And what a blessing we deny ourselves if we get mixed up with everything that goes before. Let's secure every step that we take. Let's secure the stepping stones that we may enjoy the blessing of Jesus Christ in our hearts, providing food for our souls. And thirdly, we have the necessity and the preparation. If God is going to forge David's character in what unfolds, that begins here. It begins in the way in which he provides for him here. Again, all the crutches are gone. He comes to Ahimelech with nothing. And we hear David in verse number 8 said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? He's got no armour. He, he feels naked. He cannot possibly go, go into the, the, the path of conflict without some kind of armour, without some kind of weapon. Have you a spear or a sword? Interestingly, the weapons that he looks for are offensive weapons. There's the spear for, for hunting. There's, there's the sword for close combat. He understands that whatever lies before him, it means conflict and he must be equipped to be able to defend himself from long-distant enemies and from close-up enemies. And tonight we, we know so well the words of Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. There are the schemes of the devil. There are principalities and powers. For us tonight, we, we have no weapons. The enemy is great. He shows himself in so many different guises. In every area of life, we were confronted with the enemy, the devil. And he has power, although he's restrained. He has power. He has influence. He still works in the hearts and lives of the children of God. And when we come to, into the presence of God like David did, we want something that will protect us. Something that will enable us to live on the battlefield of the conflict that comes with living 
by faith. Have you anything to hand? The priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. The ephod, which may be part of the, the garments of the high priest, as we see in Exodus chapter 25 onwards, the ephod that we see in, later on in David's own experience, where they, they consulted the ephod uh, through the way in which they, they were looking to God for, for, for guidance. And Israel would, from time to time, come before the Lord and ask God for guidance. And there, beside the priest's garments, beside the place where God would speak to his people, there is a sword. And it is the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And we can surely imagine something of what David felt. The wow in his whole inner being must surely have resounded. The sword of Goliath. The sword with which I cut his head off. The sword with which I triumphed for the people of God. The sword through which when I went out to fight the Goliath who, who treated David like a dog. And the David who went out in the name of the Lord of hosts, fearless, that sword. That sword which was the sword of his triumph in the greatest moment in the experience of the children of Israel during these days, that when the powerful enemy was ready to to bring the whole of Israel uh, to be under their control and power and influence in that moment, David went and he slung the stone and he knocked him down and he killed him. And he went and put the sword in his tent. And there, is, there was the practice following on from there that things like that from occasions like that became something that was kept in the tabernacle in the temple of God to remind the people of the famous victory that they had through the presence and through the power of God and here it is and would David have ever thought that it would be here when he asked the question and then when he's presented with it. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. There's nothing else here. And that itself is interesting. That there's no other spear, no other sword, but this one. It's unique. It's exclusive. It's the one that you used in my name when you killed Goliath. What do we expect David to say? 
the, the David who, who says with regard to his God in, in 2 Samuel 7 when, when he's praising God for, for, for the covenant that he has made. The God who says with regard to God, there is none like you. You're, you're, you're the great God who has made this covenant with me and with my household forever. There is none like you. And how does he see the sword? In exactly the same way. David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. What he thinks of God is what he thinks of the sword because they, they go so much together. And Gideon is famous for many things. And he's famous for recognizing that it's the sword of the Lord that gives the victory. Here is David. And in this moment of great need, he is reminded of God's famous victory in his experience in the past. And that reminder is there to encourage and to refresh and to stir up anew in David's heart the sense of the strength of God, the, the triumph that God gives to his people and the victory that is secure in trusting in him. As he says in Psalm number 18, he is the God who girds me with strength and whose way is perfect. And tonight, God wants to remind you and me of what he's done in the past. He wants to remind us, first of all, of his famous victory in Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross and on that great resurrection morning when the presence of Jesus was announced and when the new things were beginning, that famous victory reminded about what God achieved then and also reminded of what God has done for us personally. Perhaps we think that we'll never forget the things that God does for us personally. Well, when he gives blessing to us and when we think we'll never forget this and we're not too long further down the road when you forget it all when something else happens. Tonight God wants you to remember what he did in your life and the greatest moment of blessing and the greatest sense of victory and the greatest sense of, of the love of God poured out in your heart. Think about it. When did that happen? Where did that happen? What did God do for you then? And be refreshed and be stirred up with a sense of the same power and presence of God by the power of His Spirit dwelling in your heart, enabling you to live day by day, putting on the whole armor of God and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Getting our priorities right. Let's reflect on 
this part of the story of David. Let's get the priority right. Let's enjoy the provision. It's there freely for us. And let's be prepared. Let's have the armor. And let's not fear what anyone or anything can do to us. But let's live faithfully in the service of our master. And blessing will follow us. And victory will be built upon victory. Until at last the great triumph of the trumpet sound of the return of our Saviour to the greatest triumph and victory of all when the dead will rise and we shall go to be forever with him. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we do rejoice in you. Our God, our Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we give thanks to you for your work, for your grace, for your love, for your commitment to the salvation of your children. Encourage us from your word together this evening. Give it to us a blessing along life's way. And give it to us strength day by day to continue looking to you and trusting in you and discovering more and more of how great and deep and full the provision you have made for us in Christ truly is. Hear our prayer and accept us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>